Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We're going to be talking about sin today. Everybody okay with that? I, I heard there was a, a preacher that came out on TV and he said he doesn't like talking about sin and everybody was real hard on him. He said that he didn't like talking about sin. I'm like, are you a pastor? Like, yeah, you like talking about sin? Maybe you've got a problem if you enjoy talking about sin. I don't think we, any of us like to talk about sin. Sin is, sin is hard to talk about because normally most of us are dealing with some sort of sin that's either happened in us or to us, or through us, right? And so, so sin is, is, is not a fun topic, but we have a solution for it, which is the great joy whenever we talk about that. But so the story that we're going to talk about today is, uh, it's really called David and Bathsheba, but it got a lot worse than that. This is the most tragic story in David's life. It's probably one of the most tragic stories in all of Scripture. And, you know, a lot of us would like to look at this story and just kind of sweep it under the rug and say, man, let's just move along. Let's just focus on David and Goliath. Come on, let's just focus on David being a good king and a worshiper and writing all the songs. We would like to focus on that, but the reality is, is David fell into sin. David, David experienced a political nightmare. Think of any politic that you've had a problem with. David was worse in his sin. Yet he had a heart that longed after God. Crazy. Second Samuel chapter 11. Let's look at the story. In springtime, at a time when kings went off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Everybody say, he stayed. He He shouldn't have, have. but he stayed. stayed. Verse 2, one evening, uh uh-oh, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. One translation says that she had unusual beauty. In today's terms, you would say, she's hot. So, so David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Other words, she belongs to somebody else. Then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived, uh uh-oh, and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. So Uriah is one of David's mighty men. You remember we've talked a little bit about David's mighty men. So he was one of David's boys, but he was out in battle where David should have been, and he was fighting. And so David has this idea, what I'll do is I'll call in Uriah, and he'll come home, and he'll sleep with his wife, and it'll all be good. Everybody will think, it's Uriah's baby, and we'll just be hunky-dory. So Uriah comes into the kingdom, finally gets there from about 40 miles away. He comes in, and David says, hey, what's going on? And Uriah's like, well, you know, how's battle going? Oh, we're doing good. We're winning. What's up, 
King David, oh man, I just wanted you to kind of, you know, take some time off. Why don't you go home and wash your feet and, and just kind of kick it back for a couple of days and spend some time with your wife? And your eyes like, how could I do that with my men are out at war and you're telling me to just go home and chill, take the night off? So it says this, that Uriah spent the night in the king, basically at the king's doorway at the doorway of the palace. He didn't even go home. He didn't even spend time with his wife. I mean, what, what man of character are we dealing with here? So David wakes up the next day, and he's like, Uriah, how did it go at home? He's like, oh, man, I just stayed here. I slept here all night. Oh, uh, all right. Well, why don't you stay another day? So David calls a feast, and he gets Uriah drunk. Well, this will do it. You know, he'll get blasted. He'll forget about how important his men are. And he'll, you know, he'll get, you know, he'll, he'll, he's a man, so he's needy. He'll go home and, you know, take care of business. And so again, Uriah, drunk, passes out at the palace, doesn't go home. So David's thinking, I'm never going to get rid of this issue. So David does the unthinkable. David writes an order, rolls it up, seals it with the king's stamp, hands it to Uriah. Uriah takes it back to the field of battle and he unfolds it. And Joab is there. Joab, the commanding officer, he goes before him and he, and he, he opens up the seal. He opens up the king's letter and it says, send Uriah to the front lines of battle. David's intention was to get Uriah killed, to cover up the mess that he made. So Uriah goes and in cold blood, is murdered on the field of battle. Not necessarily from his enemy, but from his righteous king. So David starts dealing with this. And you can read uh, some of the prayers and some of the anguish that David goes through in Psalm chapter 38. But when we, we read this story, we're, we're blown away that David could do this. I mean, the, 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 the psalm writer, I mean, the guy that wrote like half, more than half of the psalms that we still sing today. The one that, whose heart longed after God. The one who slayed the giants. The one that led armies into battle. The, David, how could you do it? Our hero, how could he fall? Yeah. Well, sin doesn't happen overnight. Right. See, what happened is, is there is a progression to sin. There's a progression to David's sin. And so David, the first thing that he did is he let his guard down. Right? Now, you've got to understand something. At this time, Israel had been experiencing about five years of victory from their enemies. They were going in. David was leading these campaigns. Man, they were doing good as a nation. They were ruling the world. David, this awesome, good-hearted king leading. Their, their soldiers are winning battles on the field. They're doing really good. And so David's like, well, I'll just take some time off. He let his guard down. The second thing that David did is he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. How many of you have ever been the wrong place at the wrong time? Sometimes it's guilt by association. Sometimes it's guilt by participation, right? And so David is up on a roof in springtime when kings are supposed to be, in the, be at war. Wrong place, wrong time, got David into trouble. The third thing that David did is David made room for his sin. Check this out. James chapter 1. You got your Bibles or your app? James chapter 1. You guys with me? Are you with me? When tempted, 
James 1.13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So anytime everyone, anyone ever says, God was tempting me, you say, no, no, he's not. God doesn't tempt people. He can't do that. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is full grown, it gives birth to death. In David's story, it killed Uriah and his future son. See, with David, he saw Bathsheba. Then he inquired about Bathsheba. Hmm, check her out. Hey, who is that? Curiosity. Little innocent curiosity. It always starts off there, doesn't it? Huh, I wonder. Who's she? Is she with anybody? Oh, she is? Well, he's off to war. Then he called for her. Each one, by his own evil desires, is dragged away and enticed. After desire has conceived. When did desire conceive? When he is up on that roof. And he desired her. David made room for the sin that happened. You know, most of us, when we sin, we, we act like sin is something that happened to us. But sin is always something that happens through us. Now, sometimes we get sinned against. But when we sin, it's nobody's fault but ours. I mean, you know that you have to say yes to sin. You say yes to it. You say, no, 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 I'm addicted. But you said yes to it. You still say yes. And maybe you shouldn't have said yes 30 years ago. But at one point, you said yes. And because you said yes then, you can't stop saying yes now. Now it controls you. Now it masters you. The problem with sin is sin carries a penalty. Everybody say, sin carries a penalty. How many know that sin has a weight to it? Uh, if you, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, know Spanish, but from what I understand, in the Spanish translation of this verse in James, it actually says that sin bears within itself punishment. Think about that. Sin carries, a lot of times we think when we sin that God is punishing us. But did you know that when you sin, that the sin that you commit actually punishes you? You know, when I was younger, and I'm not saying I don't sin anymore because I do, but when I was younger, I kind of had a wild life, and then I was 18 years old, I gave my life to Jesus, and many of the friends that I grew up with continued on that lifestyle. And so here I am, I see pictures of them on Facebook, or I run into them in my hometown, and I see them, and I look at them, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like they look like old, weathered people. Why? Because sin, the life of sin is hard on you. It'll destroy you physically, it'll destroy you emotionally, and I'm, I'm seeing this effects of sin in their life. See, when I was 18, Jesus rescued me. It didn't, it didn't make me perfect. I didn't stop sinning. But I sin less. I'm not sinless, but I sin less, right? right. Come on. Right. So my, my sin is resolved now. I'm dealing with it. I'm, I'm working my way out of my sin, out of my attitudes, out of my troubles. I'm trying to get away out. But these people just giving themselves over to the lifestyle of sin. And here they are living their life, and the sin is on them. Yeah. 
And it's like it's overcome them and they've spent their life in jail and they've gone through multiple divorces and they've gone, their children aren't serving, the, you know, their children are a mess and it's just like life has come crashing down on them. And, and I'm not trying to sound harsh, but sin bears within itself punishment. Yeah. And see, the reason why God hates sin so much is because of what sin does to you. But the greatest penalty of sin is this. Sin displeases God. And this is what it says in verse 27 of 2 Samuel 11. It says, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. And if you go and you study the life of David, you'll see for the next 10 years, David was in his 40s. He probably should have had a handle on this area of his life. But you can see for the next 10 years, David struggled because of the weight of the sin. How many know that all sin separates us from God? Sin displeases us because we, we, it is not what we, it, it displeases the Lord, but it also should displease us. Even listen, beloved, even the little sins displease God. I uh, I had this encounter the other day. I had this deal. I'm, I'm just going to shoot straight with y'all. I told the leaders this last time with the leadership meeting. I had this thing that really bothers me um, with people like using terms of endearment. Like, it's, it's a carnal thing. And so it bothers me when people are like, oh, sugar. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, sweetie pie. Like, especially people I don't know or, like, people that think they're older than me, but because of a life of sin, they're younger than me and they look way older than me. You guys know what I'm saying? And so, like, they'll be like, oh, sweetie, you're so not. I'm like, sometimes I just want to be like, I'm not that sweet. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I want to be like, uh, it, just, it just bugs me. It irritates me. It's my flesh. It's, it's not a good attitude. And so the other day, I was shopping and I bought some stuff, and I was, you know, kind of interacting with the lady, and I was just like, hey, you know, how you doing? Good, good, good. And she's like, oh, sweetie, like four times. And I'm just like, mm-mm. Like, you don't, don't call me sweet. You don't even know me. You don't know how sweet I am. I could be like an axe murderer, and you don't even know. Don't call me sweetie, sweetie pie, sugar muffin, whatever. I was just like, I'm just annoyed by it. And so, like, I'm leaving, and I'm, like, I'm walking out of the store, and I'm walking towards my car, and I'm like, why does that bug me so much? And God spoke to my heart, and he said, because of pride. And I was like, oh. And so even though I kept a smile on my face, even though I didn't hurt that woman's feeling, there was something inside of me, a sin of pride, that has a problem with people because they're trying to be nice. And so I spent the next, you know, 30 minutes, like, repenting, (laughs) grinding out, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry for being prideful. But beloved... All sin, that sin that I have of that attitude that I have, that keeps me from experiencing God at His fullness. It puts a a wedge between my relationship with God. You know, one of the things that we uh, talk about is is offenses. Someone else sins, right? Maybe they sin against us or somebody we know, which sometimes is worse, and we get offended by that sin. And we justify, well, they shouldn't have done that. And so we carry around this bitterness and hardness towards people for their sins. Beloved, let me tell you, offense of somebody else's sin may be doing more damage to you than the damage that the actual sin has caused. Get that offense, get that garbage out of your life. It will control you. It will make you bitter. It will make you old before you're ever old. Have you guys seen that meme that says, you know, some people say that smoking makes you look old and it has this, you know, like 80-year-old man on there and it's like, I'm 35 years old and I've been, you know, smoking for 20 years. Have y'all seen that meme? It's so funny. But it's so true. Listen, even the little sins 
You know, Solomon said this. He says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's not the big ones. It's not the big bears that come in and spoil the vineyard. No, it's the little things. It's the little things that we go, oh, it's just okay. It's just a little thing. There are no little sins. There are no little sins. Now, let me just say this. All sin is not equal. People will say that. Well, the Bible says that all sin is the same. The Bible does not say that all sin is the same. A woman's husband dying in cold blood was a lot worse than the sin of David glancing at a woman. The only, the only people that ever say that are people that have never been sinned against. How many of you know you've been sinned against and you're like, oh, that's all right, I can forgive that. But when it's a big deal, you're like, uh-uh. You know that all sin's not the same. But all sin is a problem. And there are no little sins. All sins are big sins. Amen? How many of y'all been sinned against? Come on. How many of y'all have sinned big? Me? Double. So sin, listen, sin is destructive. David had this mental guilt, regret, this mental anguish you can read about in Psalm 38. And he says this in Psalm 51.3. This is where he's repenting. And David says this. He says, my sin is always before me. My sin is always before me. Have you ever sinned? And you're like, I can't quit thinking about what I did. I can't believe I screwed up. This was David's state. I've got to cover it up. I've got to do something. Call Uriah. Well, maybe he'll go home. And sin, what does it do? Sin begets sin. We try to cover it up. We don't do the right thing. So David knew. Listen, you got to understand, David was a good Jew. David knew the penalty for adultery and the penalty for murder was death. David, even as the king, could die for what he had done. So he's walking around with this anguish, with this struggle of what he did. And he knew, I think his, his greatest struggle is because David did really want to please the Lord, but because of weakness, because of stupidity, he blew it. And I think he walked around with this guilt and this shame all over him. I don't know who said it first. I've heard many preachers repeat it, but it says this. It says, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Listen, Satan's goal, the devil's goal in getting you to sin is always the same. It's to shame you. It's always the same. See, because that's what the devil goes. He goes, hey, come here. Why don't you do this? And you do it, and then what do you do? Oh, man. I'm not, I don't even love God. For real. God probably doesn't even love me. That's the devil talking. Listen, and maybe you do need to grow in your love for God. Right? But the devil wants you down. He's like, oh, yeah, you do. You do suck at this Christianity thing. You are no good. There's no way that you could ever influence people. Why don't you just shut up about the gospel? You don't have a good lifestyle. You're not a child of God. A child of God wouldn't do that. Shame. The devil's goal in getting you to sin is always shame. Now, understand, there is a difference, a big difference between guilt and shame. Big difference. Shame, guilt is feeling bad for what you've done. Shame is feeling bad for who you are. So one deals with identity. Another deals with behavior. And when you make bad choices... You should feel bad about it. Yeah. Don't sit around and dance around. Well, God still loves me. God. You s- sinned. Yeah. You should feel bad about your sin. Yeah. Oh, God loves me. 
He does. And He wants you to repent. He wants you to make it right. He wants you to go to people and reconcile. He wants you to confess. He wants to get rid of the sin. He's not winking. You know, we kind of have this theology. This is like, well, you know, we all sin. We're all just, you know, nobody's perfect. God's just up there kind of going, well, they're just weak people. They're imperfect. Oh, I I know, I know. It was a real high price at the cross for them to overcome sin. And, you know, my grace, my grace, uh, it's all right. It's all right. It's not okay. We've got to understand that it is not okay when we sin. It can be made right. We can get it before the Lord. His love for us is unchanging. It's unending. But it's not okay when I sin. And I invite the Lord. Lord, bring the conviction. Bring the guilt. I want to feel bad when I sin. I'm so glad the Lord that day when I was at that store spoke that to my heart. Because I was able to say, you know what, God? That's just one little thing that's in between you and I. And I want to get rid of that attitude. I don't want that to get in the way. So God's calling us, whenever he's calling us to repentance, when he's calling us with conviction, it's an invitation to say, come a little closer. It's not pushing you away, going, get away from me, you filthy sinner. He's saying, I want you to come closer, but you've got to stop this. So it's, it's destructive, man. Sin is hard on us. But it's not just destructive to us, and it's not just hindering our walk with the Lord. It's also destructive to others. Your friends, your family. Come on. Your kids. You know, I I love you. I I watch parents sometimes. They got little kids and they're like living like the devil. And I'm like, what are you doing? Do you not understand that your kids are going to be influenced by the sin in your life? What are you thinking? Oh, you know, they won't remember. They will. Beloved, repent. Come to Jesus. Let Him wash you. Let Him cleanse you. Let's get rid of this crap in your life. That's exactly what it is. And it's hindering you. And it's hindering your kids. The language is getting too intense for children. Like the pastor preaching and cussing. All right. How many know that there is a domino effect when you sin? Just like there was... Did you know that there are people today that die of addictions. Like, there are heroin addicts that died this morning because a man 6,000 years ago chose to sin, a man named Adam. Check this out. When Adam sinned, Romans 5.12, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. Did you know that there was no death for humanity until sin entered the scene? We are still affected by Adam's sin. Thank God for Jesus that he interrupted the scene. But when we sin, we've got to understand that it has a weight and it does influence things. Can we get forgiveness from God? Absolutely. Are we accepted? Are we righteous in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did? Yes, we are. But our sin still carries a punishment. And it doesn't just punish me. It punishes others. So how do we prevent sin? Now, I'm not talking about sin management. We don't manage our sins. We prevent sin. How many of you want to prevent sin? You don't want to manage it. Well, I'll, I'll work on this now and work on that later. Dude, I don't know about you, but I want to be totally, totally pure in my, my walk before the Lord. 
I don't want there to be no little foxes. I don't want there to be any like garbage in my life that, that, that people are going to get hung up and say, well, the God's not real because Josh is a sinner. Or I don't want anything keeping me before God. Anything, any wedging thing. And really when we sin, it's not like God's going to get away. It's us going, no, I don't, what you have isn't good enough. I choose this over you, Jesus. So how do we prevent sin? I know this is hard today, but listen, the first thing we got to do if we're going to prevent sin is we've got to stay ready. We've got to stay ready. See, don't be hanging out on rooftops when you should be at war. And this is what happened with David. He was hanging out on rooftops when he should have been at war. He took his foot off the gas. Listen, don't let, he had been experiencing victory, but don't let the victory of your past become the defeat of your future. Because you said, oh, I did so good, I was so solid, and I'm just going to take a couple of weeks off from reading my word and praying, and the next thing you know, you're in sin. But I did so good. Don't let the success of yesterday kill your future. Beloved, we cannot get our foot off the gas. This is why we've got to pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. Go after Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And say, God, I'm after you. I'm after you. There's no room, no more hindrances. I want you. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. Now, he's like a roaring lion. He's not the roaring lion. We've talked about that before. But listen... He is like a roaring lion and he wants to devour you and he wants to get you into shame. Jesus told Peter this. He said, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. The enemy hates you. He's going to lure you in. You've got to be ready all the time. You don't get to take a day off. Don't be hanging out on rooftops. Wherever your rooftop is, stay away. Move. Well, you know, it's just this little thing. There are no little things. And that's number two. Don't excuse little sins. God doesn't wink at your sin. There's no pet sins. All this started with David with curiosity. Hmm. I'm just going to add her on Facebook. Come on. I'm just going to follow her. I'm not going to friend her. I'm just shoot her a little mess. Hey, how you doing? Curiosity kills a cat. Listen, that's a cute little kitten sin we have, right? The problem is, is that cute little kitten sin, you feed it, you nurture it, it becomes a lion, and it's going to eat you. It's going to devour you. I love what Mike Bickle says. He says, you can't love God and love sin, and you can't love sin and love God. Listen, we've got to develop a hatred towards the sin in our life. Now, notice I didn't say a hatred for the sin in other people's lives. How do you, no, I'm not talking about the sin in other people's life. I'm talking about the sin in your life. Abhor the sin. Don't go around and go, well, it's just my little issue. That's my little struggle. It's huge in the eyes of God. Don't sit around, oh, you know, I just struggle. Oh, so I'm going to make a little excuse just the way I am. God's like, get rid of it. Why do you want to feed that thing? Why do you want to nurture that little issue that's going to become a big lion and eat you up? And that's exactly what happened with David. It happened a lot faster than it does to most of us. But he's just like, hey, she's good looking. She's fine. She's so fine, I drink her bath water. (laughs) (laughs) 
hot in here. All right, there's your comedy relief. Galatians 6. Galatians 6, check this out. Do not be deceived. Hey, this is another way to say it. Don't be stupid. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. See, God set this law in motion called reaping and sowing. If you sow, it's going to reap. Seeds are little. When's the last time you looked at a seed? Seeds are little. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Listen, even good things... Even good things, they don't have to be big, dramatic. It could just be a 10 minute of your morning that you sow in the presence of God. It reaps bigger. But it can also be one click on a website that reaps bigger. It could be one attitude towards people that use terms of endearment. Help us, Lord. We can't love God and love sin. And we can't love sin and love God. Let's develop a holy hatred towards the sin. Scripture says it this way, abhor what is evil. Whew. That's an intense word. I'm like, darn. I thought it was all like, you know, eating pancakes and dancing around and, you know, bells on our shoes. And, hey, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. And he's like, I hate sin. Yeah. Jesus, listen, Jesus, Jesus was punished for our sin. For our sin. Look what Jesus went through to deal with the sin that we wink at. Number three, I know it's hard today. Listen, number three, stay tender. Stay tender. And we've talked a little bit about conviction. So so David falls into this sin. He's dealing with the remorse. He's dealing with the regret. He's dealing with the shame of it. And God, (laughs) but God, sends this man named Nathan who's a prophet. And Nathan comes to David and he shares this story. And David's like, I can't believe that. Like, how could this unjust man be, treat this poor person wrong? And he said, you're the man. You're the, you're the man that victimized people. And he started calling David out on his sin. And let me tell you what David didn't do. And this is, this is, this, this is the key of having a heart that longs after God. Let me tell you what David didn't do. He didn't go, Psh, I didn't do that. Who are you to judge me? Don't you know that I'm the king? David goes, I have sinned. I have blown it. I have had one of my boys killed. He said, well, David, you won't die because of this. In other words, you won't face capital punishment that was for that. He said, but this has displeased the Lord. And I want to encourage you to get into Psalms 51 this week if you're dealing with sin. And read, it's the actual prayer that, that David prayed whenever he's praying for Bathsheba. Listen, if you've got sin habits in your life, crack open Psalm 51. When I first came to Jesus, I would, and I was at Christ for the Nations, I would, I would go early in the morning and I'd climb up to the, some of y'all know, know the, uh, the IB building, and I'd climb up to this ugly balcony that had, it was even ugly back then. And I'd climb up there and I'd open up Psalm 51 and I'd just start repenting to God, reading that prayer. My sin is always before me. Cleanse me, Lord. Cleanse me, Lord. Keep that heart that's tender towards the Lord. You know, Proverbs 15, 5 says this. It says, correction is, 
A fool is, despises his father's discipline. Don't despise your father's discipline. Correction is a gift. Conviction is a gift from God. Con- this is the thing that's weird about conviction. Conviction and guilt feel the same. I'm sorry, conviction and condemnation feel the same. But they're not the same. One's an invitation. And the other one's saying, you stay there. You're no good. So God doesn't condemn us in our sin. He convicts us of our sin going, why don't you come a little closer? Won't you leave that there and come on and follow me? So listen, not feeling bad when you sin is far worse than feeling bad about it. Well, I just feel so bad. I've done that before. People come, oh man, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe what I've done. I just feel so bad about it. And I've just excused it. I've been like, well, you know, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Everybody sins. You shouldn't feel that way. No, we should feel that way. Let me just be real with you. you when you sin, when you screw up, when you blow it, you should feel bad about it. If you don't feel bad about it, then you've got a hardened heart. If you sit around and make excuses for it, you've got a hardened heart. So get tender before the Lord. And say, God, refine me. Crush my heart. This is what David prays in Psalm 51. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. Lord, break me. I want to be tender before you. I don't want to be hard-hearted. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart. You don't want sacrifice. You don't want religious duty. You want my heart to be broken. See, the thing that kept David's heart pure, even in this vile sin, the thing that kept his heart pure is that he went to the Lord. He didn't run from the Lord. And David, listen, David never struggled with hardness of heart. Maybe he did for that first little season, but he got it before the Lord. And I look at that so many times, I'm like, oh God, please help me to keep my heart tender because I am going to blow it. And I am going to screw up. You're going to do it. You're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes. But our prayer should be, God, just keep me before you. Keep me tender before you. I want to be soft-hearted. I want to be a person of very tender conviction. Would this be the pursuit of a heart that longs after God? Lord, keep me pure. Psalm 51, 7. I'll read some of this here. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. In other words, God's like, all right. Come on, David. I, I want you to, f- you felt bad about it for long enough. Now it's time to feel good about my redemption. He says this, let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me out of your presence or take your Holy Spirit. I love how tender David is. He's like, Lord, our relationship is so precious. I'm so sorry I've sinned against you. And this is the way David treated his sin. He said, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant in me a willing, oh, that's so important, a willing spirit to sustain me. See, God, God doesn't just want your obedience. God wants your willingness. Let me say that again, because that'll that'll tweet all day. God doesn't just want your obedience. He wants your willingness. That only comes from a pure heart. That only comes from a pure heart. And Lord, I'm I'm just like this. Lord, I want to be willing. I want to love the people that are unlovable. I want to be willing. I don't want to be forced into it. I don't want to be talked into it. I don't want to be talked into our prayer time. I don't want to be disciplined into it. I want to be willing that we would have a heart like that.
And number five is be redemption focused. Now we've talked a lot about sin today, but listen, the way that you overcome sin is not by thinking more about your sin. Let's just, let's hold on just a minute. Ephesians one. How many of y'all give me five more minutes? Who? Five, 10, 15. Okay. All right. Ephesians one. I'll take my back. In him. Here we go. You ready? Here's the good news. I got, I got bad news for you. We sin, we screw up. It's rotten, it's terrible, it destroys us. I got good news for you today. Check this out. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. But grace. But Jesus. See, focusing on our redemption is the greatest prevention of sin. Focusing on my redemption. What does redemption mean? Redemption means to buy back. When you redeem a coupon, what are you doing? You're redeeming it. You're getting that back. When you go and you have a check that's been written to you and you go to the bank and you cash it, what are you doing? You're redeeming that. And so when we've come to the Lord, he bought us back. He paid a high price for us to belong to him. Listen, you are not your own. Yeah. Listen. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So when the enemy comes and tempts you, what you need to do is this. I'm not for sale. I'm not for sale. I'm not my own. I don't make my own decisions. I don't, dead men don't have rights. I've been purchased. I'm redeemed. God bought me back. That's what I used to do. When I was stupid, hanging out on rooftops, but now I'm redeemed. I'm not for sale, devil. When someone comes and brings temptation and entices you, I'm not for sale. I've been redeemed. I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. Don't be sin conscious. Be Christ conscious. Be conscious of the one who paid for you. Focus on his love for you, his desire for you. Understand that grace, listen, any grace that excuses sin is not grace. Let's just be clear on that. Any grace, you can tweet that please. Any grace that excuses sin is not grace. Because grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. 1 John 2.1 Dear children, y'all are out today. Dear children, beloved, I write this to you so that you won't sin. Don't sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. See, you've blown it, I've blown it. But there's a man in heaven that says, They're screwed up, but I took their place. The beautiful thing about this story is this. David marries Bathsheba, and later on, they have a son that died. It was a natural result of David's sin. And then they have another son. David and Bathsheba have another son. His name is Solomon. And he fulfilled the dreams. God turns it around. He fulfilled the dreams that David had of building the temple. It was Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. Sure, he had his issues. But he built the temple. He got it right on that. 
Can I tell you something else about David? David was the one that God said, the Messiah will come from him. The Messiah will come from the line of David. So when Jesus walked the earth, you know what they called him? Son of David. Son of the murderer. Son of the adulterer. Son of the disobedient one. How? Because God is a redemptive God. Because God has a way of turning it around. God has a way of making all things right. I don't know how it works. Part of me is like, that's jacked up, God. And he's like, you don't understand. My redemption is way more powerful than that which is broken. And my promise and my purpose will be fulfilled.